So this morning, the theme we're going to start off with is it only takes one, but that is not the whole theme. So I want to introduce this to you kind of slowly. Because throughout the year, <clears throat> all the lessons are going to gear towards a general idea of it only takes one. It only takes one. But there's something we need to start with in that it only takes one thing. Oh, and before I forget, I'm sorry. Before I forget, <clears throat> tonight there's not going to be any class here. I'm going to go home and just rest. So tonight, no class, okay? So don't, unless you want to come and do your own class, feel free. But I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be at home. I don't feel so good, so I'm going to stay there. <laughs> anyway, all right, let's, let's get back on topic here. It only takes one. I got us way off course here. Only takes one. But <clears throat> it works both ways. This only takes one idea. Because it only takes one bite to get you off the right path. Genesis 3. You've got Adam and Eve, and you've got a great place for them to live. God says, hey, agree with me that this tree is, is untouchable. Don't do that. I've given you everything else, but this is off limits. I want you to agree with me that this is not good for you. And they say, no, thank you. We're going to make our own decision. And that bite changes the course of human history. It only takes one. One bite from that tree, and they've done what God asked them not to do. It only takes one look, Genesis 19. Anybody think or remember who in Genesis 19 changed the course of her life with one look? Lot's wife, yes. Lot's wife turns around and looks, and the whole course of her life has changed dramatically. Yep, she's gone. She gone. One knee, Matthew 4, when Jesus is out being tempted in the desert, Satan says, you know, if you bow before me. And literally, that means you only have to bow one time. And think about that for a second. If Jesus did bow one time, that's all he needs. Need. If you get the Savior to bow one time to you, it's over. It only takes one. And think about that for yourself, too. It only takes one. So simple. It works in the wrong way. It only takes one to get us off course. It only takes one look at the wrong thing. It only takes one second to, to be caught unawares, and you could be off on a wrong course again. But equally true, it works to the positive as well. And I want to share a couple examples of some positive things. I'm going to start off with a quote from Helen Keller. She says, I am the only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything. But still, I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. I can't do everything. And that's, that's just reasonable. We cannot do everything. But we can do something. And God knows what we can do. He's created things for us to do. He's created us for good works. If we're going to be doing what God asks us to do, then we're going to be doing what God creates us to do. We've got something to do. Go over to the book of Joshua, chapter 23, <clears throat> and look at the power of one with God's help. Because one without God's help is not very powerful at all. That's a bite, that's a knee, that's a pillar of salt. But one with God's help you see in chapter 23 of Joshua, in verses 10 and 11. 
He says, one of your men puts to flight a thousand. One man puts to flight a thousand. Why? Not because that one man is somehow amazing or so intimidating that these thousand men decide we can't, we can't beat this one guy. But because for the Lord your God is he who fights for you just as he promised you. So take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. Why does that one man do what he does? Because God is fighting for him. Because God is behind him. The one man by himself has no, cho- has no, no chance to do that. So let's look at some people in the Bible that do the exact same thing. <clears throat> Go over to the book of John, chapter 6. And I'm going to ask you a couple questions, or at least one question, on each one of these. So <clears throat> maybe be thinking as I'm, as, as I'm reading this, this short passage of Scripture here, what do you see in this one person? What quality do you see in this one person, and why do you see it in them? Maybe. <clears throat> Sometimes you, if you don't have an answer, that's fine too. Dead silence is okay. I'll move on. But uh, I want you to think about these people because we can so easily relate to them, I think. Chapter 6, 9 through 13. There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number of about 5,000. Jesus, therefore, took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Okay. The young man that I want to talk about is this lad in verse 9. We don't know much about him. Don't know anything. You know he's a lad and you know he's there. But tell me, what do you see? How could you relate this to you? Jesus uses this this little guy and what he has. How does he do it? Let me give you let me give you what I wrote down just so you can understand maybe what I'm coming from or what what direction I'm coming from. This little guy who has no idea what Jesus is going to do with what he is, he's available and he's willing to give what he has to be used. When I see this guy here, I think there's an availability about him and there's a, there's a usefulness that he's saying, okay, take these things, use them. And what does God do when he takes these little things and he uses them? Jesus takes them and he, and he makes them huge, multiplies it over and over again, makes it so big that there's a whole bunch left over. Now, when we're talking about there's only one, this, this is like a, man, I feel like I'm too small to do anything. I'm just a lad. I, I don't have the experience to do this or that. I don't have the, the I'm, I can't be useful in this department. I can't be available in this. I, I've felt that way before. Not useful. I can't do this. I'm too small. This little guy is too small. Maybe he wasn't useful anywhere else. Here he's useful. Here he is available. Here he is used by Jesus. God will use you to fill a need. Has he used you to fill a need before? Anybody? Yeah? 
Yeah, I, I hope he has. Maybe if he hasn't, maybe you're not being available to him to use you. If you haven't been filling a need somewhere every once in a while, then maybe you're not opening up enough time for God. Maybe you're not being led enough by the Spirit here to say, oh, there's, an avail- there's an available spot for me to fill. There's where I can be useful. This guy is useful. But what's interesting, I think, in the way that God uses us, <clears throat> thank- Bill, would you mind reading the next one for me? Sure. Isaiah 6, 8. If you want to go with him, it's Isaiah 6, 8. It's just one verse. But I think God uses us as much as we will let him. Jesus will use us as much as we will let him. Yeah. But... That's okay. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Who will I send? Who's going to go forth? And what does he say? Here am I. Send me. I'm available. I'm willing to be used by you. God is saying to us probably every day, I'm ready to send you. Are you ready to go? And he's, he's waiting for me to say, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. Here am I. Send me this morning. Let me run into somebody I can help. Let me be useful here. God doesn't use me. Beyond my ability either. I, I like the fact that God knows how much I'm capable of. And he uses me to that ava- availability and that capability. He's not going to go beyond my talents here. But when he does use me, what does he do? He multiplies in our usefulness. Just like he does with this little guy here. He multiplies this little lad's usefulness. So you might think you're small. And this year we're going to concentrate on it only takes one. You might be the one here that thinks I'm too small. I don't have enough experience. I'm not useful. Um, That's wrong. You have enough experience. And if you don't, you can always get more experience. But that doesn't, that shouldn't preclude you from starting to you be used by God. But maybe you're not available. Maybe we need to be more available here to God so that we can be used by God. Availability is an important part here. Now, the second person I want to look at is a young lady in 2 Kings. So go over to 2 Kings. Excuse me. 2 Kings chapter 5. just the first three verses of that chapter. It says, Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. One little girl in captivity, in a land that's not her own, taken by people that are not her own, in captivity. Now, try to, try to maybe think outside the box here. What, what do you see in this little girl? What's a quality that you see? 
Like the little guy, available, useful. What about her? Do you see anything? Selflessness. Okay. What else? Faith. Faith. Okay. She knows that something can be done for Naaman by the prophet of her God. She's got some faith. Okay. Anybody else? Compassion. Compassion. Yes. There's compassion. Compassion for your captors. She must actually like this guy. She must like this person. I wonder if she likes him because they're just kind to her or if she likes him because she knows who her God is. Anybody else? Opportunistic. Opportunistic. Okay, there again, you're being available. You you see an opportunity and you say, let's take this opportunity for God. Jesus is opening up a door here and I'm seeing the door opening and I'm walking through it. I wrote down boldness as well. As a slave, she's bold enough to say, I think my master should go do this. I think you should go, go check this out. Because I know if you do, you can be healed by God. She knows who the Lord is. She knows that I can be bold enough to go say that. I'm going to take the opportunity to do that. Again, it only takes one. It only took that one girl here to send Naaman on this quest. And he becomes clean. He goes and he becomes clean. He sees the power of God face to face. Only took one. Now, bounce over to the New Testament, the book of Luke, chapter 12. Here's something that, that I've talked with somebody that I study with over and over again about. In a perfect world, we wouldn't have poor people. In a perfect world, we wouldn't have people that, that, that are on, side, on the side of the road. But we don't live in a perfect world. Even Jesus says in what, 12? Oh, man, sorry. That's John 12, 8. But even G, in, in John 12, 8, Jesus says, you're always going to have poor with you. We're going to have the opportunity to minister to people, to the poor, to people all over the place, anytime, anywhere, because we're always going to have them with us. Luke 12, 8 <clears throat> Jesus says this, I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, what? The Son of Man shall confess who? Him also before the angels of God. So we confess that Jesus is Lord. He confesses that we are his. She's bold enough to go up and say, I know a God who could take care of you. This little girl that's in captivity, just like the little boy that was used by Jesus, this little girl is being used by God to minister to a very influential man in another country to see the power of God firsthand. How many opportunities have you had last week to be that little girl? To say, let me show you somebody who can take care of that for you. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the one who could take that burden away from you because I know that you can't get any help in your land, but I know of a God that can take care of that. I know who can take care of you. Amen. That's that little girl. She has the boldness. She has the faith. She has the opportunity, opportunity to do good, and she does good. Now let's look at a woman. Somebody, anybody with a big, strong voice, read for me here. Any volunteers? Tom, okay, Tom. 
Esther 4, 14, please. You probably all know the verse at the, as soon as I say Esther 4, 14. <clears throat> but this woman also, there's, there's some common things here. She has an opportunity. She's being bold. She's being used by God. And Tom, would you read that for us? How many times has that scripture gone through your head when you're faced with an opportunity? Anybody have that thing pop into your head when you think you see an opportunity and say, oh, maybe, maybe this is an opportunity for me for such a time as this. Maybe God is getting me ready for that moment. There's nobody, you, you got nobody have that, that feeling at all. Okay. All right. Well, then when I ask you, go ahead and, and say yes or no. Just, just let me know that. That I'm not talking to myself here. Even though it's hard to listen to me right now, I'm sure. But I, I've had that too. You, you, you see the opportunity and, and you think, man, for such a time. Maybe this is what God is wanting me to do right here, right now. Amen. But I've also done the opposite of that. And I th- thought that. And I thought, but I don't have the time. Why did, why did you schedule this so badly, God? You should, have, you should have scheduled this when I had more time. I'll get back to you later. I've done both. But, but this woman, Esther, she says, this, this, is, this is God working. We're going to do it. I've got another quote from you from a guy named Gilbert K. Chesterton about courage. Because I see courage in her. Approaching the king, doing this. That was courage. Amen. That was courage for her. And it says, courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, taking the form of readiness to die. I thought that was very interesting in defining courage, that I, I want to live, but I'm, I'm ready to die for my beliefs as well. I'm ready to go. If this is my time, I'm ready to go. And if I go, I'm going to go believing Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm going to go not betraying my Lord. So what do you see in, this, in Esther? Anybody see another quality in Esther? I see courage, that she takes the opportunity that we've already said. She's bold, but she's courageous as well. And approaches the king. Anybody else? Humility. Humility. Okay. That you're chosen, that you, you, you think God is saying, this is for you to do. And you're humble enough to say, okay, I'll be used by you. Did you say something, Carl? Uh, determination. Determination. Okay. Determination. Anybody else? Okay. Courage. Determination. Humbleness. You're, being, you're ready to be used by God. Listen to Deuteronomy 31.6. Here's some words for the people there. Moses is speaking. He says in verse 5, The Lord's going to deliver the people up to you. You're going to do all according to the commandments which I have commanded you. And in verse 6, he, he leaves him with these, these, these words. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. You guys remember, I think when I first got here, and we had a Sunday evening class with being strong and courageous. Do you remember the song that we sang with that? 
Yes, uh, yeah, John remembers it. I am not going to sing it for you. Thank you. I probably sh- I probably would have if I didn't have this voice. So you can be thankful that I'm sick. But I, I like that song because it it reminds me to be strong and courageous to not be afraid. Because the Lord God is with me each and every day. He'll never forsake you. It's, it's an awesome song to just kind of have running through my head through the day. Because God says, here, I'm, I'm not going to leave you. You can be courageous for me. You may be one person. You may be this woman who is, is, is not anything really in the kingdom here. But with me, you're, you're everything. And you can go where I tell you to go. You can do what I'm asking you to do because you can have that courage that I am going to be with you. I'm, going to forsake, I'm never going to forsake you. Reminds me of Philippians 4.13 that he's going to make us, what? I can do all things. Do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's going to give us what we need to get things done for him. He's going to encourage us. He's going to, to bless us. He's going to help us move forward. <clears throat> the last person I want to look at here really quick, person I want to look at really quick is in Judges, Judges chapter 6. This man, I want to look at him. <coughs> Excuse me. And again, I'm going to ask you what you, th- you see in this man, Gideon. There's a lot in here, and I'm going to run through six and a little bit of seven really quickly just to kind of show you <clears throat> what I'm thinking of as, as I go through Judges 6 and 7 and, and the attitude and the, the, the way God uses and works with Gideon here. And I, again, I, I must admit, I think I'm, I kind of like him sometimes because you know, it kind of looks like he's back and forth a little and wanting to make sure God really wants him to do this and asking, this, are, are, you, are you really sure, God, you want me to do this? God's saying, yep, I want you to do this. He's confirming it over and over again. So before I get into that, did anybody, off the top of your head, what, what do you see in Gideon? This one man. Is there a characteristic that jumps out at you about Gideon? Kind of cowardly. Hey, kind of cowardly, okay. Okay. He needs a little prodding to get moving. Kind of like me. <laughs> I've been there. Anybody else? I love this part when I ask a question, it's just silent. <laughs> I love that. That awkward silence we share every Sunday. Yes, Joe. Do you always want signs of assurance that the impulses are not coming from us, that's a command from God? Okay, so he's, he's making sure that it's not, you're saying it's not him wanting to do this, it's God leading him to do this, and he's kind of making sure that God is leading him in that direction. Okay. Okay, all right. <clears throat> all right, well, I see, I, I see all that too, and I, I see Gideon as being someone who is trusting God, and he does put his faith in action. He, he is a man who, is, who asks the questions, he, and he does say, okay, do you really want me to do this? But he does put his faith into action, and he does pick up and move for God. In fact, in the first six verses, you see that, I think tough times, and there's tough times for these people here in the first six verses. It describes how tough it is. But tough times for me sometimes gets my attention back on God. It lets me know I need you. He's, he's reminding me that I can't do it without you. No matter how fat and happy I am in this country, 
I can't do it without you. Amen. Let me remind you, you know, a little uncomfortable here to, to let you know that you need me to get you through this. In verses 7 through 12, I see that, that God sees man more than him. Look at 7 through 12 really quickly, and I'll, I'll explain that to you. It says, Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on the account of Midian, that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, to his son Gideon, who was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. You, you guy who is, is hiding while he's beating out the wheat here. You valiant warrior. God sees in some, something in this man that he probably doesn't see right then and there. Which is what he sees in, in, in Esther and that, that little girl and, and the, the lad there. There's something in you that you don't recognize right now. I've been there. You've probably been there. God sees in us what we don't even understand. And he's ready to use us. And that's what he says to Gideon there. I'm ready to use you. You are going to be a valiant warrior. No matter how many times we go through this, you are going to be a valiant warrior. 13 through 24, I see that God shows us that he is love here. And he's here. He's there for them. He's going to be there for them. He says like in verse 15, and when he said, and he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. Verse 16, God says, Surely I will be with you. You shall defeat Midian as one man. Again, that, that, that power of one here, that one man, why? Because you're just that awesome warrior, Gideon, who's hiding while he's threshing his wheat? No, because God is with you. That's why you're valiant. That's why you're going to beat them as one man. Then, in verses 25 on down to 32, I see that, that private faithfulness will lead to public usefulness. If I am privately faithful to God, then he's going to be able to use me publicly. But if I am this two-faced person who is here Sunday looking all faithful, and then home Monday, the opposite man, then I'm not going to be very useful to God. Or, or myself, yes, or myself, or my family, or anybody around me. But private faithfulness will equal public usefulness. But it's not going to work if those, those two aren't in, in conjunction with one another. I see that in Gideon's life in, that, in 25 through uh, 32 there. Then 33 through 40, the end of that chapter... See that God is patient with us. He's very patient with us. Gideon says to God in verse 36, If thou wilt deliver Israel through me as thou hast spoken. God has already said he would. But God says, okay, let me, let me, let me, let me show you I will. And verse 40, God did so that night, for it was dry only on the fleece. It was dew on the, all on the ground. God's patient with me and you. 
He's going to be able to use us, and, and he's patient with us where we are. He takes us where we are, and he moves us forward, but he's going to be patient with us when we have those moments of, I'm not so sure, or I, I messed up. He's still going to be patient with me. But it doesn't end there. In chapter 7, 1 through 8, we see that success is given by God. When Verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands, lest Israel become boastful, saying, My own power has delivered me. And you know how, you know how that story goes. They whittle that down, right? Still too many in verse 4. So he brings the people down to the water in verse 5. Now the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to the mouth in verse 6, 300 men. The rest of the people kneeled to drink the water. And God says, I'm going to deliver you with 300 men. 300 men. God wants them to know that it's me, not you, who's delivering you. Which is exactly what we need to have in our lives too. That it's God's working through us. Jesus is working through us. It's not my power. It's not because I'm such an awesome communicator or, a, or an awesome Bible study guy. It's because God is using me and working through me that he accomplishes his mission. <clears throat> Which leads to another one thing. And you probably thought of or know where I'm going with this. Where do you guys think the ultimate one thing is? Anybody? Christ. Yes. Christ. It always goes back to him, doesn't it? Every Sunday we end up back on Jesus for some reason. There must be a reason to that. Jesus, that one who makes it all possible. Romans chapter 5. Go over there really quickly. The one man who makes all the other ones possible. Without this one, no other one matters. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5. and verse 12. <clears throat> we went through this, this scripture not too long ago too. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one many died, much more did the grace of God, by the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Boy, there's that one man. And that gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from the one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. One death, one life, one crucifixion. God's plan, the one man, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's where we always end up. But there's a reason for that, because it's all about him. It's always all about him. And he wants each one of us. I've got one last quote here for you from a human being, at least. I don't know who this, this was from, but I wrote it down. I like the way they, they phrased it kind of poetically. It says, I've tried in vain a thousand ways, my fears to quell, my hopes to raise. And all I need, the Bible says, is Jesus. My soul is night, my heart is steel, I cannot see, I cannot feel. For light, for life, I must appeal to Jesus. He dies, he lives, he reigns, he pleads. There's love in all his words and deeds. All a guilty sinner needs is Jesus. Though some will mock and some will blame, in spite of fear, in spite of shame, I'll go to him because his name is Jesus. 
I like I like that. It's very poetic, and it, and it sums up this very very succinctly. Uh, you got nothing else but Jesus. He takes care of all the problems. He enables you to do what God is asking you to do. Without Him, there is no hope. He is that one that makes all of the other ones possible. And through that one, that's why I wanted to, to read John fourteen one through nine. There, that one. What what is that one there, Carl? In John fourteen. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the life. No, no man except by me. That's right. That, that one way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Nobody else comes by the Father except through me. This Jesus Christ is the one that's going to make all of this possible. So here is for the rest of the year, or until we get sick of it, <clears throat> it only takes one, but that's not, like I said, it's not the whole thing because... It only takes one is kind of a nebulous. You could plug anything into it. And that's part of the reason that, that it's nice because when you're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, it only takes one person who is producing that fruit of the Spirit to be out there in the world showing the world what Jesus looks like. Amen. And when I'm thinking about it, it only takes one. I'm thinking about me. And Carl's thinking about Carl. And, and Tom's thinking about Tom. It, it takes Tom. It takes me. It takes Carl. Together we're more than one, but... It only takes one of us to get out there and do that. Amen. And, it, and it might as well be me. And it might as well be you. Yeah. When you think about it, it's me. I need to get out there. I need to be producing the, these fruits. I need to be letting the Spirit work through me and, and mold me and shape me. And Jesus be transformed into His image more and more. But I want to lead with this idea of it only takes one to go. Because remember when we talked about Matthew 28, right? The command in there is not make disciples, it's not uh, teach them, it's not baptize them. It, the command there is to go. But the to going is making the disciples. It is teaching, uh, baptizing them, it is teaching them, it's doing that. But it only takes one to go. This year, I want you to ask yourself, where am I going? Am I going? That's as you're going there. It, Jesus says, as you're going, do this. It's a lifetime thing, and it's a daily thing. As you're going, make disciples. As you're going, teach them. As you're going. So it only takes one to go. Are you going? Have you been going? Are you still going? Are you going to go at all? So that's, that's the first one. It only takes one to make disciples. I've got a couple more here. By doing these things, comforting those that mourn and weep. Who, who's going to go and comfort somebody who mourns and weeps this week? And what kind of an impact can you have when you meet somebody who's hurting and you show them the love of Christ in physical form? How about this? Who's going to go love their enemy this next week? It only takes one to go love your enemy. But that might be kind of hard to do depending on who your enemy is. <laughs> but God says love your enemies. So... I get to go love my enemies. It only takes one to show mercy to those who don't deserve it. Might be tough to do, but it only takes one to do that. It only takes one to love your neighbor. Again, like Bill said this morning, that's not always easy to love your neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody back there really vehemently agrees with that. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and pray for their neighbor, too. <laughs> yeah, pray for all of that. But it, it, we're called to love our neighbor, love our enemies. 
And then it only takes one to rejoice when persecuted. You could fill anything in here, which is why I'm going to take just a, a minute or two and ask you, if, you are, if it only takes one, and that one is you this morning, and you're going to go, as you're going, what are you going to be doing? Tom sent me an email that had one in it, and I told him I wanted him to sort of kick this part off so that it would be like an example. So do you remember that one, Tom? One friend, one time, one place to set Tom on the path he is now. You could be that one friend this week to somebody. It only takes one friend to meet them there, to go and say whatever they said to you that gets you on that path. What else? Who, who's who's going to go and what, what are you going to do this week? It only takes one. What are you doing? Anybody else got something? It's okay if you don't. I know I spur the moment here. So... But I will stare at you silently. Encouragement. It only takes one to encourage. Yes, good. Encourage some people this week, Carl. Encourage them. The love of Christ. Anybody else? Linda. person that you're being led to do whatever around. Yeah, being led by the Spirit. Leaving yourself open and available to being led by the Spirit. And when He leads you, you're ready to whatever it is you're doing. It only takes one. It only takes you, me. Anybody else? Lead by example. Yeah, okay. Show love and comfort. Lead by example. Show love and comfort. All things that, that we can look at Jesus and see... He did those things. He led by example. He showed comfort. He, he showed compassion. He showed encouragement. He was led by the Spirit. All of these things. Again, it goes back to the same thing we've said before with the other series as we were ending is we just need to look more like Jesus. Amen. Period. It only takes one to go. He's asking us to do what he did, to look like him, to be transformed and, and molded into him every day. It only takes one to go. Make disciples, show mercy, love your enemies, rejoice when persecuted. All of our lessons here are going to be focused on you being that one. You're not too small. You're not, you're not, you can't, you're, you're not this person who can't do it. You don't have to worry about courage. You don't have to worry about availability. All the, if, if you let God work through you, he'll take care of all those things. And you can be that, that little lad, that, that little girl. You can be like Esther. You can be like Gideon. And be used by God to fulfill whatever it is he's got for you. And I think by that we will grow individually here. And who knows if we'll grow numerically, but we will grow individually here. We'll be stronger Christians for what we're doing. Being led by God. Today, that's the lesson. Next week, guess what we're going to do? Fruit of the Spirit. That's right. Maybe. It's a definite maybe. Maybe. It's a definite maybe. If Christ doesn't come again, we will probably get to the fruit of the Spirit. But let's hey, hey maybe, maybe he'll come. That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be even better.
That'd be. Come any time during the week, fine by me. Yeah. Today, this lesson is for you. I want you to think about that this week. And as we go through the rest of this year, it only takes one to go. You're that one. Are you going? Are you being transformed by him? Are you being moved by him to do what he's asking you to do? Think about that this week as we stand and as we sing our closing song.